to episode eight of the Hockey Life podcast. Today we are honoured to be joined by Mr. Don Rouston. Now, if you don't know the name, Don is a hockey player, a businessman. He used to be our boss, but most of all, he's a great friend. So he has got a huge history within the hockey industry here in Australia. So if you purchased or played with Bauer products, chances are Don has had a hand in getting them here to Australia and then also into your local store. So let's get into it. Don, thank you for coming on the Hockey Life podcast. Okay, good. Good to see you guys. And uh... So I think, Don, why don't you uh, tell everyone and us about how did hockey start for you and what did it look like? Yeah, well... First of all, uh, I lived in Glebe Point, uh, which uh, uh, wasn't that far from the main ice rink in Sydney, which was the Sydney Glacierium. And um, so it was, uh, I think I was about 13. We had a friend uh, of the family who lived uh, lived with us uh, in our house. We had a few lodges and he was one of them. And... Uh, he used to uh, take up all these different sports and things and they seemed to last for about three months and then take up something else. And one of the things he took up was skating. He started going skating at the Glacierium in Sydney and uh, he was about 21 and I was about 13 at the time. Anyway, he, used to, he said, oh, come along, I'll take your skating. It's down to the Glacierium we went and he took me skating, we, you know, skate around for the session that was on a Tuesday night so I was quite happy to do that because I was an only child and uh, so I you know sort of of like a big grubber anyway we went round and sort of hide the skates and started learning to skate well this happened regularly and uh, then he sort of got sick of going skating. He wasn't very good at it, by the way. And uh, anyway, I thought, oh, this is quite a nice activity. I'll continue. So I started going to skating when I had the time, although uh, the family was involved in a number of businesses and I was caught up in that and uh, had not that much spare time, only evenings and uh, Saturday afternoon and Sunday. So I... um, I continued on skating and uh, after a little while, uh, I thought after a, a short, pe- a reasonably short period, I thought, oh, all these blokes are going too fast. I said, I'd like to go fast too, but <sighs> I didn't have a pair of skates, so it was a bit, bit hard on the rentals and they never sharp and all that sort of thing. So I, I bought, managed to uh, get some money and pay three pounds uh, five shillings for a pair of skates and uh, I thought I was made, I had this pair of skates and oh, they're absolutely wonderful, you know, and I could get the thing sharpened. In those days, the Sydney Glacierium was just a marvellous place. It was sort of like a palace almost. It was, uh, it had a good restaurant, it had a good milk bar, it had a snack, you know, sort of like a confectionery shop. It had uh, a private skate room where you could leave your skates. Uh, the rink was uh, slightly smaller than a regular size hockey arena, but it was big enough to play uh, five-man hockey. And uh, anyway, uh, I started, uh, after a while, I started going down to the hockey and watch a bit of the hockey, and I thought, oh, this is 
this is really good stuff, you know, I really like this anyway. So as it turned out, uh, after a little while, I met a few mates, a few contemporaries down there and, you know, skate and talk about it. And they said, oh, we're going to join the hockey club, join a hockey club. And I said, oh, well, I wouldn't mind doing that myself, you know, very keen. And by this time I could skate reasonably well. I could skate both directions, uh, reasonably effective. I was about as... Uh, in, in the about of half, half the situation uh, fastest in the uh, fast skating at the at the general sessions. But anyway, I went to the hockey hockey thing. I was going to join a club called uh, uh, Wests. At that time, there was uh, four hockey uh, four ho four hockey clubs. It was East West. Glebe Lines uh, and St George, they were the four major hockey clubs, and they had a, they had a, a, junior, a second grade, <coughs> and also they had uh, a few junior. There was another minor junior competition as well. So I went down there, and somehow by accident I finished up joining the Glebe. Glebe, uh, it was Glebe then. It wasn't Lines. It was Glebe. Uh, comets. Anyway, of course, uh, I was quite happy as it turned out because, you know, it's quite a few people I knew and other people and the, the officials seemed very good. And so it's sort of like, it was sort of like entering a bit of a family. The competition uh, uh, with the practices, the practices were terrific. It, we had practices that the Glaciarium, and they started at uh, 8 o'clock Sunday morning and finished at 11. So we had three hours practice, which was pretty... pretty that's, awesome. a, that's a long <laughs> practice. <laughs> and, uh, that lasted for about 12 months because uh, when I first started skating, there was also the Ice Palais, which was out at the showground, which was uh, a full-size rink and... Um, it was really, uh, I only went there once, but uh, it was re <coughs> really a beautiful rink. All those rinks had the orchestras too, like they had an orchestra playing and, you know, they were pretty nice places. You get the eye too. for the game, like a bit of music. And, yeah, yeah. Everything, yeah. And Don, back then when you started playing uh, with Glebe, what was the gear? So you had skates oh, yeah, and then well, <coughs> how did you get the other pieces? Well, that was the thing. Uh, apparently there was a little bit of equipment made in uh, Melbourne. That's where the gloves came from. I managed to buy a pair of gloves. But other than that, there was just sprinkling of stuff around the place, but not you couldn't go anywhere and buy a whole a lot of equipment because it was really, uh, really very... There was nothing really available, so I proceeded to sit down and make all mine from basically old cricket equipment that I had really? when I was playing cricket. So I had elbow guards with uh, batting gloves sewn onto some felt and uh, shin guards that were just soccer shin guards with, you know, more thick uh, padding. And uh, the shorts, well, I had an old, big old pair of short khaki shorts and foot... foot like padding on the inside so I wouldn't get hurt but uh, 
Anyway, it was pretty, <coughs> pretty ordinary. <laughs> but, uh, but talking about the sport, well, I was in the uh, reserve grade and uh, playing quite well, and then I became captain of the team after about a year. And um, that we were playing and doing quite well, although in the general first grade competition, Lions were, I think we were second last out of the four teams. But an interesting thing, the Ice Palace closed and uh, that left the situation where all the clubs had to operate out of just the one ice rink that's suitable for hockey was uh, the Glaciarium. It was a great place, but made it very tight for practice. Mm. So instead of having three-hour practices, we were down to our practices. So that made quite a difference to the uh, time you had on the ice to improve your skills. Yeah. And um, we had... Um, anyway, after... Uh, we all started then. Then the uh, then there was a big change happen. Uh, through the teams, there was a sprinkling of uh, new Australians, as we used to call them then. And um, anyway, our team was formed by Dick Mann, who was, uh, I think everyone in, that's been in hockey knows Dick Mann, who was a far, very famous uh, gentleman in the, in the game. And uh, he... Uh, he started the, what they call the Bombers, and the Bombers still exist today, mm. as do most some of the other clubs. But um, he, he started the Bombers. Now, the Bombers are uh, more or less a selection of people that have come to Australia since World War II, and in that there was about four of them that were Czechs, I think, and they were extremely good hockey players. Like, they were good. Mm. And um, although they were in their 30, well into their 30s, um, late th mid to late 30s, even then, they were very, very good. Anyway, it soon happened that they were... When they first... Everyone was laughing at because they couldn't skate very well, but you couldn't get the puck off them. <laughs> and, uh, so, so, so although our, you know, the teams, our team could skate well and pass reasonably well and shoot okay, they couldn't get the puck off the bombers. So when you <laughs> played the bombers, and as far as I recall, for the next three years that the bombers existed, I think they hardly lost a game. Really, they were yeah, that dominant. And yeah, they they were just incredible, and they had these. Four or five really top-class players, apart, apart from the generally, they are a very, very strong team. It was all to do with passing. They just passed the puck everywhere. And, you know, very quick, sharp passes and very effective shots. Mm. It's interesting to note at that period, too, the, the, the sticks were straight. Yeah. The sticks were straight and there was no curve in the stick. So it was a flick shot you had. There was no slap shots. It was sort of like a snap shot, mm. but not a... Did, did the sticks flex at all, or were they just kind of stiff, very stiff? And uh, The sticks were... Um, they didn't have any fibreglass on them, so they were pretty fragile. OK. And uh, the problem was that 
The stick had uh, a number on it, like a four, five, six, and generally speaking, most people would have a five and a six. What that designated was the angle of the stick, uh, like how tall you were. If you were really tall, you need a like seven. Like the, the lie of if the you're stick. A, you're yeah. a six. Yeah. If yeah. you're a bit shorter, you'd take a, a five or a four. Right. Yeah. But it sort of, there was no curve on the stick at the bottom yeah. either. So it was flat. Yeah. Yeah. So you had to have that, otherwise you have your wear your heel out all the time. So you're trying to of stop course. them from wearing the heel out by yep. putting something on it. But there was no uh, polyurethanes or anything around in those days. It was clear lacquer and stuff like that. But these sticks, there was no slap shots as you know it today. Mm. And so therefore you had to flick the thing and you didn't have a curve on it to give it a lot of power, you know, so it was quite a skill to uh, yep. come up against. So the, the, the team, the teams played, it was extremely competitive. The team that I was in, we had, uh, we had some um, pretty good players, were mostly Australian blokes. Um, I don't think we had a foreigner at that stage and, and that went on pretty well. And I always remember one night uh, we went out and um, this was when I was in the first grade team. Um, and then uh, I think I was about 17 when I got in the first grade team. And uh, I was very proud of myself of getting in this first grade team mm. because, uh, you know, it wasn't that easy to get in. And uh, anyway, so uh, we did actually drew with the Bombers. So we did have something, right. but um, we had a various coaches and we didn't seem to make much progress. But then uh, a bloke called Kennedy, who, had the, his, who was a very famous uh, person in Sydney, he sold skates uh, down in Kent Street. He, used, if you want to, he made the skates. His father was a bootmaker that made skates and he wow. retired and Ken used to make the skates as boots as well and buy the blades to put on them and so on. But Ken was an um, ex-Olympian from the 36th Winter Olympics for uh, speed skating and he also lived in England for quite a while and he was in the British Army also while he was there. So he was an older bloke but he, he knew, he played good hockey and he was recognised as one of the best hockey pe uh, players of his period. Anyway, that was all right. All going along fine. You know, we're getting better. I'm starting to, really starting to skate well and starting to, you know, have an impression, scoring a few goals. And uh, I was all playing on the left wing. I was forward. And uh, I had a bit of eyesight trouble, but I wore glasses, but I didn't wear them playing, so I had a bit of trouble there, but I did... <sighs> uh, try to get some contact lenses, which I got them, but they were very primitive at that right. particular stage. So I had a bit of difficulty, but uh, I used to you wear them, but they used to have bubbles in them, so it was a bit awkward. Um, so everything was going along fine, and then suddenly in 1955, they said, well, uh, the glaciarium is closing. Oh, well. Here we are. The ring was, was originally opened in 1909. Yep. And uh, so there was that that virtually left Sydney without an ice rink. There was no ice rink in Sydney as, as far as I knew. And uh, 
so that was the end of my hockey career, when it just when I'm starting to show a lot of promise, you know. And um, at that time, there's been a lot of good matches. The Victorian, you know, they had Goodall Cup, who mm -hmm. um, was fought very strongly with Victoria. Victoria were extremely strong in hockey at that time. Mm. And um, also there was the Canadian Navy used to come and they had about four or five ships, I think, and they were the ships they have a pickup team and it was Canada versus Australia. They were interesting matches as well. So there was a lot of good hockey around and, you know, particularly with the Bombers who were trying, everyone was trying to work out how to beat the Bombers. And, uh, <laughs> you know. Were they curving their stick, Don? Was that the key? Were they heating it up and curving it? In sticks, no. still. No, just dead straight sticks. So the slap shot didn't exist. Yeah. Just a snapshot, but you'd, if you snap too hard, you'd break your stick, you know, yep. so... Yeah. You're trying to preserve your stick. You, you yeah. Know. So it was more accurate flick shots. Strengths as a player when you were growing up, looking back. Uh, well, I think I think when Kennedy came along and started coaching us, he had a philosophy um, about discipline, hmm. right? And his idea was... In a, in a game, you are um, allocated, uh, you have a job to do. Mm. Now, each member of that team or that line had a job to do with mm -hmm. the defence and, and the forwards, etc., and, and also the goalkeeper. So the idea was to do your job mm. as best possibly you could and take instructions to what they, what the coach wanted you to do or the type of play you wanted to play. So instead of sort of everyone running around, look, trying to be great, you know, trying to, you know, do things they couldn't do, the idea was you had a job to do, you do that job. Mm -hmm. You don't start trying to do the other people's job as yeah. well. So if everyone does their job, the thing should come together. Right. That takes a long time to get that to work. Yeah. But But... It gets results ultimately. Anyway, as I said, the rink had closed, so therefore no more ice hockey. So my sport had uh, finished. So here I am, 18 years of age. So that's it. So uh, a few of the blokes in the in the in the team, one of the Graham Ferris, who was a pretty good friend, he was a member of Tamarama Surf Club. So I went and joined Tamarama Surf Club. So I took up the surf ski and in the in the races, uh, you know, at the surf carnivals, yeah. I took that up and I was doing that for about four years and uh, so I training on the surf ski. So so that's that's that was pretty well the end. In that period, there was a few uh, smaller rinks uh, which were, uh, I think there was... Um, Five dockers, we used to call them postage stamps because they were about, you know, smaller than the Blue Line Inn, about... Really? Yeah, about that size. But you couldn't really play hockey on them, although you'd, you might go and have a practice there or something. But they mm. appeared later on, sort of like in 50... Uh, 57, 58, you know, those years. 
and there was also one that did last quite well, was Homebush. It mm. was fractionally bigger, but they were all picture theatres. Yeah. And the lower downstairs. So Oh wow. You know, so they were pretty small. They were all right for practice, shooting practice and passing practice and things like that, but they weren't that that efficient, you know. Anyway, so that's that's you know, we carried on as far as skating was concerned. And unusually there was a rink opened at Manly mm. at the um Right near the, uh, just the back on the corner there, uh, near the Manly uh, Surf Life Saving Club, just at the back on the back street on that corner. Obviously a very wealthy, a very uh, prized block of land, but it didn't last long. It only lasted a few years. It was another small one. Yeah. So you couldn't really play hockey on that at all. So hockey was dead until about... Till 1960, early 1960, and it was big wow. rejoicing because the Sydney Council had decided to put in a rink at Prince Alfred Park. Yeah. Okay. The rink, the rink at Prince Alfred Park, was um, uh, you could say it was makeshift for the, at the best of times. <laughs> you know, the boards were about just hip height. Just up to, to the top of your thigh. Oh, they wow. had, uh, oh. they didn't, they didn't have boards on the outside. They had tin. <laughs> but um, and there was a lot of, uh, and they had sort of welded framework behind it. Wow. So it was only sort of uh, hip height. So when you skate along. Someone had hit you hard enough, you'd go straight over the boards. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was just an incredibly difficult uh, situation. We, we, um, the rink itself was a full-size rink, but the bloke that when when they designed it, they didn't have any curves on the corners. So it was square. Yeah. Oh my god. That so is quickly, deadly. <laughs> the association quickly had to uh, turn around and get these sort of curves made on the corner. So when you, you shot the puck, it actually went around. It didn't stop in the corner. That's incredible. You know, so uh, that, was, that was important. And the, so, Don, could I ask, when after the glaciarium shut and in that period, I guess, did the sport lose a lot of people? Like, they didn't come back to yeah, play? when? Yeah, that, that was one of the problems with the with it because there was a lot of senior players around at that time and a lot of them uh, didn't come back, you know. I, I can, you know, and that, that, that was very sad because we lost a lot of uh, uh, people that could have taught uh, coaches, potential coaches and so on like that, yeah. that could have helped the early, uh, the new clubs and so on that were formed. Right. Well, when it started up, it started up, the club started again there was uh, East, West, Bombers and, and Glebe, which was Glebe Lines. We, we changed the lines mm. uh, back in the Glaciarium too. So, and then there was the, uh, another club that started a little later, was Hotspurs. They were a group that came from uh, the Homebush area rink there. So that, this was the first grade competition and wasn't too bad because there was a lot of imports around. A lot of people were, were hockey players, you know, that 
overseas and they started turning up, you know, particularly Canadians. Mm. Yeah, the Canadians started to, there wasn't many at the Glaciarium, but it's, I think you, you started getting all these Canadian tourists, you know, so you get a bloke that come out and he'd say to you, uh, oh, uh, playing hockey here, you know. Yeah. <laughs> this is ridiculous. You the know, same reaction we get here, now. So he'd send home and get his gear back, yeah. get his gear out because the gear wasn't still wasn't much good. Um, anyway, so, uh, and then so, so they'd, they'd turn up and, they, you know, because they got terrific accents and, you know, and most of them were pretty good hockey players or mm. you get the exceptions too, they were some really good ones. But... The, the ice rink at PA was a, a extremely um, difficult because it's, it started eight o'clock and it was, you know, just not real ice. And they had a Zamboni, but they didn't know how to work it properly. And um, by the time you got the first grade game, just to start at nine o'clock. And but it started to get a little moist on the top. And by the time you finished 11 o'clock, the two matches, our matches, there was about an inch of water. Wow. Like an inch of water like that. So the puck, when you'd, when you'd pass the puck, it'd it often just, you it just die. So I developed a technique of sort of flicking it along, sort of jump along. Like kind of skim. You know, from the left wing to the right wing. So yeah. Trying to do the, <laughs> over the puddles. Yeah. yeah, but you know the extremely difficult to play because you know like the conditions were appalling, and the people that had the lease was Maloney from Melbourne, and uh, they had a manager there that wouldn't do anything. You know, it was it was pathetic. It was really bad. You wouldn't wouldn't do the ice when you wanted it. You wouldn't do this. Wouldn't do that. Well, no, 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 yeah, no, right. no, 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 no. It was all no, no, no. So in that period, uh, I've got uh, movies of that period, but the it might look, say, oh, these hockey players were terrible, but you've got to understand the conditions were absolutely appalling. Yeah. Like you, like, you, and well, you, if, you go, over, too, no if you go over the boards, the brick was built up. You drop down, you know, you could... You were getting hurt all the time. People were getting hurt. There was no helmets, yeah. and um, and there was the equipment wasn't that good. People around the place, you know. Anyway, I sort of sort of got this this idea. There were so many people carted off to hospital. You couldn't like it was just continual somebody getting hurt, particularly goalkeepers, because you go up to the goalkeeper when it was wet. Flick the water into his face yep. and then shoot the puck. Oh. <laughs> That's a new day. Okay, we're getting, we're getting the new moves now. Yeah. This season. Yeah, but honestly, they didn't have face guards, and like they they'd put their stick at the thing and come up and bang, hit him in the face, oh, just oh, just facial injuries. And uh, so you know this was happening. And anyway, Dick Mann um, was always a prominent. Character, he's, he's always uh, carting his, you know, carting his team around and, and criticise, criticising the system and all that shit. Mm. Anyway, he was part of it. Anyway, that was neither here nor there. But 
but um, he he somehow imported some hockey gear from uh, Eastern Europe. Mm. And, of course, everyone bought a bit of it. But unfortunately, uh, it wasn't very, very good. You know, it was right. a bit, bit sort of antiquated. Yeah. Anyway, I, uh, I got into the, uh, the first... First, 1961, they had an interstate that sent to Melbourne and they were thrashed. Uh, and then, um, then our team lines were going well. We beat, we won the uh, competition in 62 and in 63, the first grade competition. And I was in the interstate team in 62 uh, that's the Goral Cup, and mm -hmm. then I, they, uh, I didn't get in the team the next year because I, they made me captain of the Brown Trophy team, which yeah. I've got some information about that as well. Yeah. So I was I was probably in the Goodall Cup about four or five times during the 60s, and I was in Brown Trophy teams forever sort of thing, right mm. through to the 70s. And... Um, so I played a lot of, a fair bit of hockey uh, around those times. But also at, at the, uh, I'll just go back a little bit. At the, also there was, uh, when the rink opened PA, there was also another rink opened at Bondi Junction. Oh, really? Yeah. It was slightly smaller. You used to play four-man hockey on it, but it was a, not a bad little rink. Mm. It's in Spring Street. And uh, so that was involved in that. So um, when I first went to Melbourne on the Goodall Cup, we had a pretty good team. We had a couple of uh, good imports. Um, the rest were local. And uh, St George was a big contributor to the team. Uh, they had uh, Dewhurst and uh, Miller and Manstead. They were prominent and Bagnall. And um, anyway, I had uh, I was playing with a bloke called Siedlmeyer. He was a German bloke. He was a good player, a good friend of mine too. And I uh, had, uh, uh, who was on the right wing? Oh, Renton, a bloke called Renton, Billy Renton, which is really, a, he was a good player too. Anyway, we went to Melbourne. Um, Melbourne had imported three uh, Canadians from... Uh, some um, in the Okanagan, I can't think of the name of the town. Mm. Anyway, they were absolutely top class, fantastic players. There were three of them, and they they came out as a line. You know, well they were infinitely superior than anyone, and uh, you know we lost the game, the first game by a goal or two goals. I can't remember, but uh, I did score in the first goal, first uh, run. Game, and then then we played played Melbourne without without the Canadians, and we we drew with them, and then they put them back in again, and we lost the last one. So it was very good ice hockey. Uh, very from we had we were reasonably good, but we lacked we had that gap in the development mm. five years. Yeah. It was just too much right. to. You know, games, but 
But see, we, we were in a, our team, the Lions, was a very solid, good team. We were coached well. So, you know, we did, we did, uh, we did, it was pretty good ice hockey. And uh, so we went along those sides. Now... And so where uh, did that, that gear start to... So you, were you still making your own kind of gear at that no, point? No, no, I was making it anything. together? Yeah. No, so I, you get I, was, a bit of that. I, was, I was in business. We, I had a chemical business and yep. it was quite... Uh, we, I was working hard and that was bloody hard work because it was only me to do it. And yep. It was hard 44-gallon drums, lifting them up all the time is a hard joke. I used to make about 30 products, I think, something like that. Uh, anyway, um, so I thought to myself, oh, uh, I'll just make some inquiries. So I thought, I've got to get some decent equipment. I said, I'm getting hurt too much, you know, mm. going to the hospital all the time with cuts and stuff. Anyway, so I I thought, I'll ring up the Canadian Embassy because I, I, I was an independent business person in a small factory. Uh, we had at Leichhardt in the back of the house. It was a, sort of like a like a triple garage size shed. We had all the stuff there and we had a yard. And um, anyway, so I, I rang up the Canadian government and the Canadian government, uh, I said the lady was very polite and so on. And I said, I'd, I'd want to talk to somebody in the Canadian government about getting some hockey equipment. And uh, anyway, she said, oh, well, look, that's our commercial side of the government. And uh, you, you, the guy to talk to was a bloke called Ed Price. Anyway, Ed Price, she said, unfortunately, he's not here. He's, he's out at a show at the showground. It's like Canadian government had a booth out there talking about Canadian products and so on. So she said, if you want to go out there, you probably can have a good, you know, see him out there. So I had my son, Tim was about four at the time. I was about 27, I think, 26, something like that. Anyway, he, I packed up Tim and took him out with me. We walked around and we found the booth and I walked into the booth and they said, I said, oh, can I, can I see a gentleman called Mr. Ed Price? And he said, oh, no, sorry, Ed's not here. I said, oh, okay. So I said, where is he? And he said, oh, he's just gone to lunch. And I said, oh, that's all right. I'll come back in an hour. That'll be good, I said, you know, very polite. Anyway, I came back. Anyway, I came out and I, the, he, I went in and met Ed Price. And I said, Ed Price, my name's Don Rouston and I'm here. And he said, well, what can I do for you, Don? And I said, well, I'm interested in importing some hockey equipment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, all right, all right, hockey equipment. Oh, yeah, OK. I said, yeah, hockey equipment. He said, you mean field hockey equipment? I said, no. <laughs> Ice hockey equipment. What? What do you want to import that for? There's no... I said, Ice hockey's played in Australia. What? 
ice hockey is played in Australia. And I said, yes, it's been played for years. And he said, he said, Don, I play hockey too. I said, oh, good, that's good, Ed. I said, that's fantastic. I said, can you help me? I certainly can. That that's, is awesome. That's perfect. Like he just like was like it was just taken like, aback by the thought of it. brother. <laughs> 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 but uh, anyway, anyways, I said, well, look, I want the best one. What's your recommendation? He said, well, look, it's hands down Cooper. He said he's a fantastic uh, equipment uh, person, uh, company. And he said, I know them well. And I said, oh, that's good. He said, look, I'll write you a letter recommendation and uh, I'll you send you I'll give it to you and you can send it all off to him with your letter so he did that for me but he was like like he was so helpful yeah anyway he he said oh that's great Don you know that's really good you know I must get down and watch the hockey sometime you know <laughs> and uh, anyway so <laughs> So off went the letter, and the letter, I got a reply from the letter in about two or three weeks later, because things were a lot slower in those days. It's all airmail and that sort of thing. But of course, yeah. Uh, it was from uh, Jack Cooper, who was the president of the um, Cooper Weeks Hockey Equipment uh, Company in Toronto. And uh, anyway, he said... Uh, Oh, gee, Don, it's, you know, it's sort of personal, very straight away. He said, oh, Don, uh, glad to hear you're playing hockey in Australia and that's good time. He said, uh, he said he, about the equipment, he said, I'm terribly sorry we can't supply you because uh, we don't do all with individuals. And I said, oh. I said, that's no good. He said, we only deal with companies. And I said, oh. I said, well... I've got a company, so it's not a, not a sporting goods company, but it's a company. Oh, that's all right then, Don. Yeah. No trouble. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I'll send you the catalogue and the price list. So he sends me the catalogue. He sends me the price list. And, like, he spoke to me like I was his son. Wow. That is awesome. You know, and, like, because he got this recommendation from... From the Canadian government, see? Yeah. And uh, so, so then I, I got the catalogue. This is for the hockey gear. And, of course, I, I got this catalogue and I'm beside myself, you know, with this catalogue, this beautiful stuff, you know, that actually protects your body. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the real deal. This is, this is what they yeah, use. In... it's great. Anyway, so. So I got this catalogue and I take it down and it showed me mates and, oh, when are you going to get it, Rouston? You know, and I said, oh, well, I've, I've placed an order. All right. He said, all right, when's it coming? I said, well, it's got to come by ship, so it'll take a while, you know. Yeah. And he says, all right. I said, when do you reckon it'll come? And I, I said, well, you know, okay, this is what I've ordered. You, you, you. I ordered about three big boxes of stuff. Everyone's bugging you now because you're the the man. Not not at this stage. Anyway, so um, anyway, the the boat, it came on the boat. It was called the Trocan. I can remember it. 
Anyway, because I'd never imported anything and I didn't know much about it. Mm. Anyway, so I said, well, how do I get it off the ship? Oh, and the, the, somebody said to me, oh, you've got to go and get a customs agent. I said, what's a customs agent? <laughs> I said, oh, look, here's, you know, I found a customs agent, somebody on Mars who would, anyway, directed me to a place called Cridlands in the, uh, Sussex Street. Went down there and met the Cridland bloke. And he said, oh, we've got to find out if any of this stuff is on quota. We've got to find out if it's, uh, you know, what it's made of, what it's this, what it's that, you know. And I hadn't seen anything yet. I said, oh, no, no, here's the catalogue. What do you reckon? You know, like... So he said, oh, well, There's nothing okay, in well, you know, you have to see this. Oh, some of this might be on quota. You know, you have to have a quota and oh, you have to have this and you have to have that. Anyway, the, I, he said, we've got to put an entry in to the customs. Okay, you put the entry in. I said, that's all right anyway. The boat came and the boat went. And I rang him up and I said... Where's my gear? I said, the, the boat's gone. Oh, don't worry about the boat. He said, all they do is unload and put in a bond store. And he said, then you, then you eventually you, you, they get around to shipping it out to you. And I said, oh, that's good. That's all right. So then I let it go for another week, couple of weeks. And then I said, have you seen that stuff? Haven't you got it yet? And I said, the carrier should have taken it out to you. He said, I said, no, I haven't got it. In about three weeks this was, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, God, what's happened? Oh, anyway, they found out that some bloke bright spark, we had these three boxes, had sent them to Townsville by accident. Have <laughs> any ice creams up there, Doug? Good news up there. I said, why? He said, I've no idea, but he said, we'll get them back as soon as possible. So it took a week to go up there and a week to come back. Oh my anyway, gosh. meanwhile, at the rink, I've got these blokes a particular. Um, uh, Mate of mine, uh, he's a good, 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 good mate, Jimmy Jones. Anyway, you're full of bullshit, Rouston. Oh, okay, yeah, this is where it starts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, yeah. I said, no, I'm not. I've definitely got it. I said, it's the paperwork. Oh, that's all bullshit, you know. Like, <laughs> so, they, thought, so, they thought you were stitching so, them up. So uh, this, uh, this was uh, what happened. Anyway, eventually the boxes arrived. They looked like they'd been around the world. Which they <laughs> the boxes are all beat up, <laughs> half so, open. So, anyway, I got the suitcase and I took it down to PA. And of course, immediately I sold a lot in almost no time at all. Mm. You know? And, and uh, I thought, oh, this is all right. Anyway, I had this suitcase carrying it around down the rink. The manager came over and said, "You can't catch, can't do this in this ring. You can't oh, sell God. gear within it. Sell gear in this ring. Were they selling gear at the moment? No, not, not really. No, they were no. selling a few skates from the Melbourne. This like, is the, the same guy giving everyone grief about yeah, but, the yeah, Zamboni. And... Anyway, yeah, but it was anyway. So one thing led to another, and uh, I Kennedy off. I started making him an agent for me, and then, uh, <clears throat> and then, when I when I was in Melbourne, I, when I went down for the next, uh, I think no, I think yeah. Anyway, somehow 
I met a guy in Melbourne called John Purcell, who was uh, in... Uh, uh, that's right, we, we had to play... I'm sorry, I'll just digress a little bit. We had to play in the Australian Club Championship because we'd won mm. the competition in Sydney in 62. And we had to go to Melbourne and play the winner of their competition. So that was like the Australian uh, Championship for mm. a club. Mm. So we went down to Melbourne and uh, I'd met some of these blokes in the interstate team down there as well. Anyway, one of the blokes is John Purcell, who's a pretty uh, nice sort of a bloke, an executive in a, a chemical company. And uh, anyway, he, uh, he said, uh, Don, I, I, I see you doing something about hockey gear. He said, uh, he says, I've written to Bauer and I'll find out and they sent me a letter to contact you. And I said, oh, okay. Right, well, I said, well, maybe we can work something out for Melbourne, you know. And he said, yeah, he said, I'd be interested in selling the gear. And so John was well known. He was, you know, one of the better hockey players in Melbourne, defenceman. And uh, so that was, so he became an agent in Melbourne. And then when we played the Brisbane people, there was a guy called uh, Wise. Uh, I can't think of his first name now, but uh, he was a nice young bloke. And he said, I'd be interested in selling your equipment too. So, you know, I had an agent in each place straight away. So that was good. <coughs> okay. I wasn't, wasn't much good to me going to rinks because rinks didn't have any shops or anything to mm. sell equipment. And then I said to uh, I said to uh, Jack Cooper, and he, he was going very friendly with me. And I didn't know it until years later that he was a colonel in the Canadian Army. Wow! Yeah, and uh, he's a big wig, and he's quite a personality in in Toronto. You know, he's a lovely bloke. He had two sons about my age, okay. and. Um, one year about that, not year about days. And we were in the business as well. But I was dealing with him all the time. He seemed to think it was good fun talking to me. And uh, anyway, so I said to him, I said, oh, I've got to get a pair of skates. I, skates are not that flash. He said, oh, I'll get you a pair, Don. What size are you? And I said, oh, I'll ship them out to you. And I said, oh, don't worry. I said, I'll pay you. Oh, no, I'll give them to you, you know. I said, all right, okay, oh, that's nice. Wow. I said, I want a decent pair, you know, all good stuff. He said, oh, I said, well, what's what's the story with skates? And he said, well, he said, uh, oh, well, I said, oh, I know about CCM, but what else is there? He said, oh, Bauer, Bauer, Bauer's the one. He said, I know Don Bauer really well. He said, oh, I said, oh, that's good. Where is he? He's out of Kitchener. And I said, oh, where's Kitchener? And he said, oh, that's oh, about two hours from, from Toronto, mm. out towards Niagara Falls. And uh, I said, oh, OK. So he, uh, he said to me, uh, well, that's, that's fine. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll give him a call. Anyway, he gave him a call and he said... Uh, <coughs> I mentioned it, Don Bow, and he said, "Anyway, I rang up, rang up uh, 
head price. I told head, I'll get your letter, get your letter straight away and to send with uh, to to Bauer. He said, I said, Bauer, yeah, they're good, good company, you know. And I said, oh, okay, who's going to speak to Don Bauer? He's one of the brothers. He was a general manager of the company, mm. the family business. Yes, yeah. And uh, he, uh, I sent the letter and sent his supporting letter with it and also a letter from uh, Jack Cooper as well, supporting me. And uh, didn't hear anything for almost two months. Not a word, no communications at all. I thought, oh, well, it's... You know, there there goes that. Not going to happen. And then one day I looked in the letterbox and here's the catalogue. And I've still got it. That is amazing. And really? the catalogue came and the price list. He said, oh, we're happy to do business with you, Don. Now here's the terms. Uh, here's the range, you know. And so that was the beginning of the Bauer system. That's amazing. So nothing was instant. It was, you had to wait and send letters and kind of... Yeah, nothing. No, it's a different world, you know, and uh, it was all done by letter. You like even, uh, there was no, no telegrams, you know, like yeah. very brief telegrams. That's all you could send mm. other than a letter. You could yeah. send it, like go by airmail, but still it was, it was nothing like Nothing was instant. No. But <clears throat> to cut a long story short, uh, after I'd been trading a bit with Bauer, uh, I, they sent me a letter saying, we want to see you in Canada, Don. I said, well, I can't afford to go, you know, <laughs> Canada, Canada, God, that's... Yeah. Like if you went to Brisbane, it was a big thing. Canada. You know, so, so uh, I had a good Canadian friend who, uh, who, was, uh, who finished up managing PA, uh, Phil Hall, who, was, uh, who lived in Toronto. And he just married an Australian girl. And uh, he was over there. And he said, oh, you could stay at our place, Don, in Toronto. And I said, oh, that's good. And one of the suburbs out there, because I went over. And, oh, that's right. Bow gave me $400. And I bought a world ticket. And uh, that's where I went over to see them at Bow, you know. And, of course, I was lucky because Phil, Phil uh, like, lived in Toronto and... Uh, he had uh, he was over there with his honeymoon and all the rest of it, um, and I think I don't know what was his honeymoon that time or was another time. Anyway, his parents were lovely. They looked after me in their house, and a modest sort of house, but it was nice. And uh, and then we had he had a, a his sister married this really wealthy property developer, and. Uh, she said, uh, oh, I'll get him to give you the Cadillac. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes. Anyway, Phil, Phil was okay. there. Phil, Phil had started driving me around Toronto, all around the place in this blooming Cadillac. And 
He said, oh, I'll drive you down to uh, Kitchener. And he drove me down. We went to Niagara Falls and come back. It was not far from there. To was it in the summer or the winter, Don, when you were over there? It was just on the turn. Yeah. The winter. So cool. Yeah. But what I couldn't get over at uh, Niagara Falls, the fence, uh, that's right, later. So the fence was quite low. Mm. Really? And you just, like, you go trip over You can over fall over if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get over that. Anyway, I got to Bower. And they put me up in their house, Don Bell's house, and had a nice house, you know, a, a, a nice quality, not a mansion, but a nice house. Yeah. And family and so on. And factory, factory was like one industrial area type. Uh, it was a smaller town, a bit mm. like Newcastle, maybe smaller than Newcastle. Right. Anyway, the... Uh, the factory was, uh, you know, was all right. But then I went back to his place and the next morning we went to the factory again and it snowed overnight. It looked totally different, you know, like it was about a foot of snow on the ground and in this factory and it looked like something in Ultimo or something like that <laughs> in the old days. And uh, it was like that. So, so then, he, you know, it sort of... Got, you know, he was quite happy we were in doing business at that stage and we started to distribute to ice rinks and, uh, and some shops, a few. We had uh, McSimmons in Sydney who had a chain of shops. They used to buy one model of skate. Kennedy was a big supporter. He helped, you know, used to buy the range. But there wasn't many places to sell it and, and uh, we had mostly the ice rinks, but they wouldn't buy anything. You had to sort of give it on consignment and, you know, mm. all this sort of stuff. It was yeah. pretty, pretty tough going. But th there wasn't many ice rinks around at that stage, so it was a pretty small business. Just just reflecting a little bit back on some of the uh, hockey, the, the competition at uh, uh, Bondi was a four-man four competition, but... Uh, was some pretty good hockey there, but the rink did close. Uh, I think it was around about, oh, I'm not sure exactly, probably 63 or 4, something like that. I'm not sure exactly. I can't remember. But interestingly enough, there was quite a bit of uh, entrepreneurship going on with ice rinks, and uh, they put a, at the ride swimming pool they put an ice rink over that for one season but it didn't work too well and they also had another ice rink over a uh, pool at Lidcombe as well remember playing hockey there but uh, that they, they were very elevated so a bit unusual but anyway getting back to the the business side of things um, we started dealing with uh, Bauer and things were going along well and distributing throughout Australia with various ways, through, mainly through the rinks and a few retailers and uh, so on. So the hockey continued on and the competitions continued on, the uh, Goodall Cup and the Brown Trophy and then the Tange Trophy came later. And uh, <clears throat> so the hockey was going along and then Canterbury 
ice rink uh, opened up. Originally it was a uh, outdoor rink and I remember playing the Canadian Navy there uh, and we went out to play on the rink and the plumen skating along you started hitting the pipes. So the <laughs> so, so so it wasn't too good. We had to go off for a while until it froze over a bit better until we could play. And uh, anyway, we played and it was all good. But Canterbury became a central part of the hockey system in Sydney. And so there's always competition in at PA and a competition at Canterbury were the main two venues uh, up until uh, more or less I played through to and retired from the... Uh, first grade competition when I was about 40 and uh, so my, my hockey playing days were over. The business continued and um, in, in around about uh, 60, 60, 70, I think it was, 1970, Bauer started selling uh, ski boots um, and uh, in, in Canada. They had this brand called Monte Verde and uh, that was a whole new world. So they suggested to me that we might want to try some. Anyway, we, we bought a few out with one of the shipments and tried to sell them and it was almost impossible to sell ski boots because it was just a proliferation of brands on the market. Unless you had the big brand, it was very hard. It was a bit like tennis rackets. Were you a skier at that point? Like had uh, you been no, going to no, the No, I hadn't been skiing. Yep. Uh, but uh, the kids were growing up and uh, sort of... <clears throat> so we couldn't see... We couldn't sell wholesale the ski boots and make a profit. We could sell them for what they cost us, but we couldn't sell them to make a profit. So we thought, oh, well... We had an area, we had shifted to a newer factory at this stage in Roselle and um, we had a mezzanine floor at the back and I thought, oh, I could stick the skis up there and try and sell some, you know, have a little ski shop. And, uh, of course, we were running the wholesale business and the chemical business still in the bottom part of the building. It was a full block, it covered a full small block of land and uh, had a double uh, bay, uh, elevated uh, <coughs> dock, so it was easy to load heavy stuff onto it and get the containers in and so on. Uh, another aspect of the business, um, the, ski, the ski shop, so we decided to open a ski shop but uh, we soon realised that uh, a retail ski shop, just retail, no, nobody has completely been. We called it the ski factory. And uh, we started off small and a few people. It was very awkward because we had to walk them through the factory up onto the mezzanine floor at the back, so it wasn't <laughs> very good. So we had a big conference with Father and uh, decided to put another floor in the building so we put a complete floor right through the top building so it gave us plenty of room up the top to have the ski shop upstairs at 21 Margaret Street, Roselle. And that was uh, very 
very good. It was a real learning curve. Um, I wasn't a skier. I had been skiing, but uh, I didn't. I didn't know a lot about the skiing part. So I started reading up and getting ticked up on the skis and so on. So, and the kids were growing up, and so that led us to sort of going skiing every year for about 20 years and a couple of times a year and uh, so the kids had a great time, we all had a great time skiing and we learnt to ski fairly efficiently, we were all uh, good quality uh, um, mid-range skiers of course the time we spent down there was not enough to become a really good, really top class skier but uh, the kids loved it and it was great, great fun and Actually, the retail ski business was extremely competitive, but uh, we did manage to get a, quite a big, a good consistent clientele that supported us every year. But again, it was seasonal. Yeah. And once the business, yeah, if the season was good, you did well. If the season was bad, you lost money. So it was very dependent on the quality of the ski, the ski, uh, how, how the business went. And was the ski shop done, was that kind of the start of opening up distribution for more brands other than Bauer and like ski brands and then also other um, things? No, um, we were sort of stick, at that stage we were sticking to the sort of winter sports type things. Yep. We had tried a bit of baseball, but that didn't work. However, there was another aspect to our business that, that emerged. We, um, Bauer uh, also were manufacturers of roller skates. Now, roller skates, uh, proper roller skates, uh, there was quite a proliferation of roller rinks, but they were nearly all in Queensland and a few in Victoria. New South Wales had a few too, So, but they were smaller sort of enterprise type thing. So there was a market there for roller skates. So Bauer made a fairly good quality skate, and but they, they weren't really, uh, it wasn't their main game. It was sort of like a secondary thing. But in it, while we're in visiting Canada at some various sporting, uh, uh, events, um, we come across a company called Dominion and Dominion made really good roller skates. Anyway, we found out that uh, they had made a high white roller skate and, uh, and there was all sorts of other variations and so we used to make and assemble roller skates with uh, soccer boots on them and all that sort of thing. So. Another was sort of a variation, but it was quite a. We could sell more roller skates than we could ice skates, as it turned out. So we were quite strong in that market. Mostly went to Queensland, but um, so we went along steadily selling these roller skates. I remember. Uh, we got a 40-foot container of uh, roller skates from Dominion and I had to carry every single one of them upstairs. <laughs> to the mezzanine, <laughs> Don? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and fight. As actually, I had an employee called Oliver Richardson, who was a good mate of mine, who I used to play hockey with, and he he was involved in roller skating, so he helped a lot in the development of the roller skate. Now, um, he was very technically minded. He used to have model aeroplanes and all sorts of, uh, and he used to a motor mechanic on motorbikes. He used to uh, sort of race motorbikes to us in a small way. But anyway, he was a great bloke. He was a good friend of mine and one of the best people I've ever known. And uh, anyway, he, he was an employee of ours and of mine for about 30, 25 years. This time yeah, though. we're starting to... Uh, we had to get someone to do the books and, uh, you know, that was another... So we're gradually working along. But we're still fairly small because the markets were that small, you know, didn't have a lot to, to go go on. Yep. But then something happened. We noticed in the catalogue that uh, uh, the Bow catalogue, they had a page full of skateboards. Skateboards. Anyway, uh, we realised that the... Uh, I realised that the skate uh, skateboards, you know, there was... Not much interest in skateboards, or you know, it was something that sort of existed. In fact, I've got still got an original one at home, um, and they're pretty primitive sort of things. But they used to have a box on them, and sort of in in America and so on. Anyways, there was not much happened, so we got we got some of those out to look at. You know, just to have a look at what they were, and they're quite—they looked okay. Had some nice wood wood tops in and so on, but they were pretty straight. There was no curves on them or anything like that. They were flat boards. Anyway, I showed showed them around a bit, and no one was very interested. And then suddenly, it was in the paper where someone had invented this urethane wheel. Yeah. Polyurethane wheel. And we'd actually started making roller skate, had them made roller skate wheels, but they weren't polyurethane. They were a compounded rubber, but they were very good. Yep. But, um, but nothing was as good as a polyurethane wheel. It didn't have the, what is known as a rebound. You know, these polyurethane wheels were very suitable for skateboards. Yep. And uh, so suddenly there was sort of a, genuine interest in skateboarding and uh, so by that time we were dealing with a company called Chicago Skate Company in Chicago and they had uh, they used to they used to have a variety of more expensive artistic uh, and general racing roller skates so we had some of their stuff out here so we started to sort of try and put... They had uh, a sort of a... They made a sort of a... Apparently there was some interest in America and they made a plate and put the roller skate mechanism on this sort of smaller plate that you could screw onto the board. Anyway, I thought, oh, this is good. This, is, this will make a roller a skateboard. Anyway, they... Uh, we, we tried various roller skate bits and put them on. They were 
they were okay. But this, this was called a Chicago on a plate, a little plate, and you screwed it on the bottom, put two of them on the board, and you had a skateboard. Anyway, I remember I bought about 600 or 800 of these to try out. Yep. And as a Saturday morning, I can remember. Anyway, the, the shipment arrived from Chicago, uh, that's there from Chicago itself, so it's in the middle of America. Anyway, I got them out, it might have been 800 or something like that. Anyway, Saturday morning, I'm on my and I went down to the factory, uh, and there was cars in the street. And I thought, oh, <laughs> that's, that's what, what somebody must be having a birthday or something. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, I, went, I opened the door and went in, and then the drill bell rang, I locked the door, and the bloke said, oh, you've got the Chicago trucks? I said, uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. You mean the plate with the wheels and that on, uh, with the trucks on it, didn't have wheels on them? Yeah. And he said, I said, uh, yeah, I've got them. He said, can I, how many can you give me? And I said, what do you mean? He said, I'd like to buy all you've got. That's <laughs> I said, but I've got 800. And he said, oh, no, well... Anyway, ne next thing I know, there's about six people. I oh. said, so I had to take one at a time, come in. Yep. And by about an hour and a half later, I'd sold every one of them. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and so that was the beginning of the skateboard. Amazing. So, so the skateboard was... Uh, we persisted with the skateboard, the roller skates, and also the other skates. So we had quite a few things going on. And uh, then we still had the chemical business going. And uh, then then we thought, oh, well, we, got to, we could sell some of these to retailers, to you know, toy shops and so on. Yep. So the toy shop business... Uh, so, so we went to the toy fair. Fair. We we had a booth there. Yep. And uh, anyway, we had the booth, and quite a few people were interested in skateboards. So this it was the start of what we call the skateboard boom, and it was all over the place. You know, there's all these kids that you know just wanted to skateboard and polyurethane wheels, and then so. So what we did, we got assemblies from various places and we started, we had a bit of stuff, still stuff still coming from Chicago, but it was very hard to get them because they were flat out yep. supplying America and the rest of the world. And uh, anyway, so we, we got some, of when we started getting stuff from New Zealand and then we started getting a local board putting it on and making. So we finished up having a range of roll, uh, skateboards that sold to, skate, uh, to mainly toy shops. Yep. And gradually, within a couple of years, we were selling a lot of skateboards. But we were too expensive. Uh, there was a demand for a skateboard that was a little bit cheaper that was good. Yep. So... The, the stuff from New Zealand was good, but it was too expensive, and all the American stuff was too expensive. That it was, 
there was definitely a market for the top end stuff, but the main uh, volume was in a, a cheaper product. Yeah. But something that worked. So I thought to myself, I've got to get something, uh, an assembly with wheels, polyurethane wheels, and they had the sort of flexible Truck. ends on them. Oh, yeah. On the yeah. wheels, they were sort of cushy. Yeah, you know, yeah. Long, they long, yeah, they'd come right, out and right. they'd taper back in. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so I've, I'd been to Taiwan on a previous journey but didn't find anything. Yep. Anyway, there was a bit of a show. I found out there was a bit of a show on there, a small show, and I went to Taipei in uh, Taiwan and I'd never been... I had been there before, but I couldn't find anything. Uh, you know, it was just a wow of a place you couldn't... You know, yeah. couldn't. Anyway, so I went there and I went to this show and it was in a hotel and just a couple of rooms in the hotel. Oh, like they had a bit of a auditorium, a smaller, smaller yep. place and there was a few of us. But anyway, I went around and I found this little bloke in the corner... And he had the polyurethane wheels. Yeah. He had some trucks and he had an assembly. He had everything I wanted. Yep. And I thought, this is it. This is what I need. And I said, how much is it? And it was cheap. You know, it was good quality and it was cheap. Yep. And he didn't speak English. And, uh, and there was this woman there who spoke English. And I thought, oh, she's the Trump, you know. But she wasn't a Trump at all. It was just a little bloke. Yep. And and he was very kind and nice and friendly and showed me the truck and it was exactly what I wanted. Yep. And the price was good. So I could put that on an Australian-made board and produce a, uh, a skateboard to sell to the shop and they could sell it for $39 or something, you know. Yep. And it was good quality and it was exactly what people wanted. So we called it the Reflex Skateboard. Yep. Which you probably might have heard of. And anyway, so so here we are back at the factory. We're getting the local board. We imported, started imported this. Now I got to the stage where I was importing a full container of these assemblies, 20-foot container yep. of these assemblies, which is about as big as that there. Full of assemblies, but that's that's single, isn't it? That's not on a board or anything yet. No, you know, no, they still no. got to be put on no. and folded together. Yeah, here we are for the next three years with a hammer in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> Seen a skate from uh, England, yeah, and it was in in a line, and I had a skate on it. I got a pair and I had a skate on. It. And I thought that's not a bad idea. Actually, that works. And this yep. was like three or four years before. There was any sign of inline skate, and then suddenly there was this inline skate by Rollerblade made in a somebody invented or or discovered more uh, in America. Yep. And of course, called Rollerblade. Anyway, suddenly this Rollerblade. Anyway, the Taiwanese manufacturers are starting to make Rollerblades. You know. Yeah, inline skates, and so suddenly there's an interest in the roller skates. Uh, sorry, in interested in these skates, and I've got a, I got a pair, one of the first pairs out, 
I started skating on it and was pretty good. I, you know, I yep. much different to skating on uh, ice skates, except the stopping was a little different. That was all. Yeah. And so it was. Uh, so I skated around and found it quite well. Anyway, I would go to the. At this stage, when the early skates are around, I would go to a, say a show in Taiwan in Taiwan, and. I'd talk to the people, you know, it was various suppliers. Yep. And they wouldn't want to talk, you know, they don't talk to me much, you know. Yep. And then I would get a pair of their skates and put them on and go for a skate. And then their jaw dropped. So that that was the end. You just showed them how the skates actually work and, like, did crossovers. And I used to be able to tell them. I used to put their skates on and go skating and they all wanted me to try their skates on because they never tried their... Nobody's tried their skates. They made them, but nobody's tried them. <laughs> so just making thousands of them and just like, yep, that yeah, looks yeah, like the I'd other one. Them, you know, what's wrong with them or what's what's good about them or what's so on and what worlds yep. and all the rest of it. So I'd be tearing around the the, the uh, show, you know, and yep. would, oh, look at this bloke, stupid old bloke, and <laughs> he can skate on these skates, you know. Yeah. It's amazing. And so, you know, he, uh, he uh, and of course, having an enormous skate background yep. all my life, basically, you know, I would, you know, could skate on anything pretty well. Yeah. But uh, um, so they all listened to what I had to say, you know, all this, this stuff and there was quite a lot of suppliers at different ones you know and so it went one thing led to another and we finished up a very solid business in the inline business you know yeah i just like to reflect back a little uh when i retired at 40 yep and then i had a break of a few years and then they rang me up one day and said oh First grade competition in Sydney, uh, the Lions were playing in the final. Yep. And uh, one of the blokes, the defenceman, had broken his leg. Yeah. And they said, Don, we need you to come along and play play defence. Yep. And I said, look, I haven't played hockey for a couple of years. Yeah. And they said, oh, no, you'll be right. Just come to a few practices. And I went to a few practices. I said, you're right, no problem. Yeah. We went out, we won the, won the competition. <laughs> And I didn't score many goals while I was playing defence, and uh, so I was quite happy, you know. So, but anyway, then then a bloke called Greeny, I can't think of his first name, from Blacktown. Yeah. This was an interesting story, because uh, this is to do with ice skating, hockey, ice hockey. Anyway, mm-hmm. he he said, Don, can you come out and help us? He's got, I've got these blokes at Blacktown. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm in terrible trouble with them. I can't, they don't listen, they don't. Anyway, I said, oh, I, don't, I don't really want to play hockey again, you know. And, yep. Oh, Don, please come out, please come out. Anyway, I went out and, of course, I finished up playing hockey again. Yep. And this was in the second division, of course. Anyway, I'd come from a very strict system. You yep. know, like I was tr- trained to be very precise and very yep. exact to what you're doing and, and concentrate on the, your build, you know, your skills and all that sort of thing. Yep. Anyway, 
I went out to Blacktown, I couldn't believe it. You know, I went into the change room, the blokes come in, they throw their helmets to the wall and <laughs> smashing the blooming thing. I said, what are you doing that for? It's fucking this, Yeah. I said, this is, I said, what do you, what's the problem? I said, how's your hockey going? Oh, good, good, good. I said, I said, what's your idea of hockey? He said, oh, that's easy. He said, you get the puck, you skate up the rink, you meet two people if you can, and then you shoot at the goal, keep and smash him. <laughs> I, said, I said, is that right? I said, did you, did you score? He said, oh, no, we didn't score. Uh, uh, I said, where are you in the competition? Uh, I think we won a game about a month ago. And I said... <laughs> Where are you in the competition? Well, I think we're coming about second last. You know, I said, oh, okay. Why do you think that is? Oh, I don't know. You know, we just we just want to get. I said, you've got to start thinking about what you're doing. You know. Anyway, green. We got. We started. We looked at all these players, and they're quite good. They're quite actually astute and yep. and, and everything like that. But they had no idea how to play the game. Yeah. You know, and anyway, they got me there and I started and I said, look, first thing you've got to start doing is put the stick on the ice. So if I'm a defence player, I can pass the stick to you and you're, you're going to pick it up. Yep. You've got it waving around your head. I said, you're not going to pick up the passes. Yep. I said, it's all about passing and you're just doing your job, you know. Yep. Oh, oh, you know, never heard of all this stuff before, you know. <laughs> And uh, so, so, so ultimately we got together and got a pretty good team together and started to train them. I said, look, I'm playing in defence. I said, if you, as soon as you see me get possession of the puck, yep. you put your stick on the ice. Yep. I said, I'll pass it on to your stick. Yep. And he said, uh, <coughs> really? And I said, yes. Anyway, I started passing on onto their sticks and they couldn't believe they were actually getting passes on their sticks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just from, saw from the defence. <laughs> anyway, we went went on and Greeny was, you know, very grateful for, you know, what was happening and and we finished up winning the competition. And uh, That's amazing. You know, so on. I mean, it would have been hard back then to, because everyone's just kind of piecing it together themselves. And were people able? You weren't able to really watch the NHL or, or you know, no, uh, you know, international no, no, competition no, yeah, at that no, point. No, you know, you see a brief, brief news reel or something. You know, the NHL. Yeah. So, so there was, but basically, it was a lot. They, they just basic skills. You know, they yep. didn't understand. Yeah. It was a team sport and you don't have to do everything yourself. Yeah. A lot of them had the idea that you had to beat as many players as possible and shoot on the net. Yeah. Forgetting about what the actual team was doing. Yep. You know, so they didn't have the concept, but they had the skills, you know, they had sufficient skills yep. if they were projected in the right direction. Yeah. So that's where the coaching aspect of it was very important because I coached a lot of uh, teams. Uh, ki uh, junior kids, I had the junior association going, training them yep. and showing them how to pass and shoot and all that sort of stuff. 
and train the teams. We took two or three teams away to various tournaments and so on. And so, so, so there was a big history there and all yep. that stuff. I'd like to uh, finally say that uh, within the organisation of Adlon Trading Company, we had some wonderful employees over the years and many people that stayed for long, long periods of time and working uh, diligently and well to make a company a success. And a few of them I'd name is uh, my son Tim Rouston, who, uh, who was in the sales area, uh, Stephen Lumley, who was uh, a general manager for more than 20, 30 years, um, Tim Curran, who our accountant was, uh, just so many, Leon Baker, who was a general uh, rouse about around the place and did a lot of the uh, paperwork as well, and all the other members of the staff, so numerous to mention, and uh, I'd like to thank every one of those and, uh, for making the company a success and sticking to the company all those years. Thank you.